This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds Episode 8, The Elysian Kingdom, wacky costume episode. Uh, but first we're going to start with the news, and it's good news for people uh, overseas, some of them anyway, which is the Paramount Plus finally launched in the UK and Ireland. And South Korea. And I- South Korea, which <laughs> which didn't get as much attention. No, I mean, and they, they didn't get a big star studded fun premiere and big events. Yeah, I mean, last week, Paramount Plus content got added to a streaming service within South Korea and no fanfare. It just kind of bloop. There was, it was, you know, one day it was there, one day it wasn't. In, in the UK, it's launched as its own thing and they're definitely paying a lot of attention to this market because they feel like it's really important. This is the biggest international launch they've ever done. Because it's in a bunch of countries around the world, Latin America, Australia, but they are making a big deal out of the UK. They sent Sonequa and Kate Mulgrew and Kevin Costner and Sylvester Stallone and Jillian Anderson, Jessica Chastain, like big, big names. They held a star-studded event. They're doing this takeover of Piccadilly Circus. They're doing events all summer long, including some Star Trek stuff at conventions. So they're taking this very seriously. Now, some of the details. So so Strange New Worlds is now in the UK officially, but just the first three episodes that they're running five weeks behind. Um, and we've already seen some listeners saying they're now going back to our podcast from five weeks ago to catch up. Yeah, which that is was great. amazing. I was shocked and delighted. Season four of Discovery is there. Prodigy's there. Now Picard. I mean, one of the reasons why Patrick Stewart wasn't at this event is because Picard is still an Amazon exclusive in the UK and will remain so, as is Lord Dex. You know, but the, most of the movies are on there. Um, all the old shows, although not the animated series for some reason, and I it'd probably get added later. So, uh, but good news for people in the UK now. What about the rest of Europe? Um, so this week they announced some of the dates for the rest of Europe for Paramount Plus. Um, it, it it's going to be first in Italy, um, and that's coming in September. And then Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and France in December. Then they're doing something called Sky Showtime, which is going to basically cover everywhere else in Europe. And so Paramount Plus content will be within that. And we're hoping that means all the Star Trek content, but we haven't been able to confirm. And there's no date on that. That'll be by the end of the year. But it looks like Europe will be pretty much covered by the end of the year. 2023, they're going to be focusing on Asia and uh, the Middle East and uh, Africa. And then hopefully, you know, once these shows have all, once, you know, Paramount Plus is in place everywhere, then the world will be able to line up better in terms of everybody getting the shows at the same time, we hope. I suspect when Prodigy comes back this fall, the people in the UK will not be five weeks behind. And when Strange New Worlds does season two next year, I'm, you know, because that's the way they've been doing it in Australia. I I don't know why this five weeks behind. I think it's just kind of they don't want to put too much there on launch day because they've done some other. This isn't just Star Trek. I mean, there's a lot of shows launching there, some of which they gave whole seasons to, like I think Halo, some of which they're doing this thing where they do three and then one a week, like Yellow Jackets and stuff. I mean, this is one of the cool things in the UK is. A lot of Showtime content, like The Man Who Fell to Earth, which Kate Mulgrew's in, costs extra in the U.S. That's all part of Paramount Plus in the U.K. So um, you have more stuff than we have. 
um, yeah. unless unless you buy the extra bundle. Right. Let's move on to probably our meatiest piece of news this week, which is really talking <laughs> about another podcast, the Inglorious Trexperts, where and Terry Metalis, our friend and talkative guy, spent like an hour. He was on that thing forever. This was one. I think this might be one of my very favorite episodes of their podcast. Like, I just really enjoyed listening to him. He had a lot to say in his, he talked about his whole career. And, you know, he also started out on Voyager and he worked on Enterprise and he talked about other shows, but he also talked a lot about Star Trek, obviously, and um, dropped some info as usual on season three of Picard. Yeah, but he's a genuine Star Trek fan. And so like the way he would drop info is interesting where he's like oh well you know i love the movies and i love the space stock scenes and stuff and it's like oh yeah and we're gonna do stuff just like that in season three so he's right. he's kind of you know he lets you know what's coming you know because he just can't help talking about season three but it's it's all part of his larger like just nerd boy fangasm it was a lot of talk about how you know amazing it was to work with the dng people but being who he is you know because he's writing and producing and directing some episodes he's like I, I he couldn't be that fanboy on set but he's now kind of having that moment in post-production and he talked a lot about the music and how bringing back the james horner kind of stuff and it just all sounds great and you know for everyone out there saying well we've heard this all before you know uh, and i kind of am one of those because you remember early in season two we were like oh my god this is great and then it kind of fell apart you know, he talked about how every season's different and you know, he basically said season one was Michael Chabon's season. Season two was Akiva's season and season three is his season. And each of them has a different vision. Yeah. He said they all have very different ideas about what Star Trek is and what makes it important. And he thinks that's fine. He's like, that's, you know, Star Trek is a lot of different things. And he said it almost makes Picard an anthology series because each season is kind of its own thing with its own feeling and its own vibe that corresponds to each of those three people and their vision. It wasn't a criticism of the other two, but he's kind of acknowledging that things are going to be different in season three. And it's not just the fact that the cast are coming on board. Although he did have an interesting point. He's just like, you know, we're bringing in the TNG people. And so we had to let go of a lot of our regular cast because we just, there wasn't enough time to, give them character arcs and frankly there wasn't enough money which yeah i was gonna say the money issue is a big one too like they can't have that many people on and obviously part of getting the next generation people they needed all of them so they had to negotiate with everybody i mean the thing that i loved hearing him talk about was how he wanted each of those actors to be really happy with the way that their characters were and how they were going to be sent off he talked a lot about dr crusher which made me happy because i feel like she sometimes gets forgotten by certain people so you know he said he's fascinated by the idea of her letting her son go off into the universe and she's this woman who had a relationship with picard and he wanted to make sure she had a strong story you know we talked last week about how lavar uh, jordy's getting a family and he said that you know when lavar started pitching him stuff he made, he made terry cry talking about the story that he wanted to do i mean it all Sounds great. You talked about how there's this big legendary moment with all of them, how they all, t you know, they do end up together. So they aren't just telling individual stories. And we know that they're in multiple episodes. I mean, not everyone is in every episode, but there's lots of them in lots of episodes. 
And lots of uh, Riker, which she said was a big surprise to Jonathan Frakes, who is doesn't always <laughs> leap at the chance to do more acting. Since but. he's moved to directing, he, he's become he's very self-deprecating. He's talked about this before when he went back to do season one of Picard, how he felt self-conscious acting with Marina, who's on the West End stage and Patrick, who's Patrick, you know, but I think he was great in season one of Picard. So I'm not sure what he's talking about. I mean, he hams it up on lower decks for sure, you know. But I think he's he did very well in season. Yeah, I one. think so. I thought he was great. I re- and I love that was my favorite episode, the one with them with Riker and Troy. So, but yeah, I guess he always is just surprised by you know he's moved on to so many things and he was just like, "There's a lot," which is funny. Speaking of people coming back, he did kind of tease that there's some major. Major, I don't know, what was the words he used for another TNG person? He said it was someone who wasn't in the main cast, a Next Generation character who was not in the main cast, and it was a particular character he really wanted to see come back. And he said that 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 person did come back and that it was weird, the quote was weirdly more thrilling than everything else in totality. So that's pretty intriguing and now uh, you uh you know we've we batted this stuff around but you're 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 writing something up which kind of goes through all the possibilities so what's your best guess here my top guess is ro laren that's who i i mean it's who i really really want to see it's an unfinished story and it's a character who had individual relationships with a lot of the characters individually yeah absolutely and Michelle Forbes is still acting and she's great. And she had, you know, she's been resistant. You know, she was offered Deep Space Nine and she was offered more TNG at the time, I think, and didn't do it. But I feel like, you know, she might be ready now. Yeah, that seems like a good guess. And I mean, you know, there's so many fun names you could think of. You know, another one on your list, which um, I really like, was Shelby. Yep. Who we know becomes a camp in lower decks era but that's like 20 years before season three of picard so she's probably if she's still in starfleet she's probably an admiral by then because she's right. quite quite ambitious so it'll be interesting to see where she is and what kind of relationship she has with Riker now hopefully they're getting along better who's like who's a dark horse who's a a sleeper Besides Mott, obviously, who yeah. We all... Well, my sleeper one is is Roga Dana. Yeah, that from, would be good. From it was the Hunted. Yeah, I think that was the episode. I just that story to me. They left right at this peak moment where this the whole culture's on the line, and there's it's either going to be a bloodbath or there's going to be peace, and the whole structure of society is going to change. And they just beam out, and they're like, "See ya." So I always wanted a follow up on that one. I mean, I don't think that's going to be it, but I would be pretty happy if it was. There are a lot of them that would make me pretty happy. He did mention plot-wise, not related to this character, but just separate in this long thing, how tied into the twenty, you know, the events of the twenty-fourth century this is going to be, and specifically, he said, the Dominion War is important to the plot and the fallout there, you know, from the Dominion War, which 
Now, it now makes you instantly think of DS9 characters, but this, you know, he was talking about a TNG character. We think there's also going to be DS9 characters and maybe Voyager characters in this. I mean, he's just not stopping. This is so, going to be wall to wall. But, it, you know, that makes me think maybe Roe, because she's Bajoran and, you know, Bajor was, you know, at the center of the Dominion War. So maybe she played some kind of role in that. Who knows? Now, he said we're not going to get Miles O'Brien, which he was sad about. But so who else do you think from Deep Space Nine might show up? Um, well, you know, the, the list is short. You can, I mean, Dax, the thing is, you want Jadzia, really, no offense to Nicole, but that's not really possible. He, you know, he said it's not Miles. Miles has always been at the top of my list. So um, we don't think Avery's going to do anything. So, you know, by process of elimination, Worf's already there it's you know it's got to be kira yeah that's what i was thinking maybe bashir could be interesting you know certainly if they take him in the direction he took in the books where he's gets involved in espionage and section 31 and all sorts of stuff and it allows you maybe even to get garrick in there you know it would be great to see garrick yeah <laughs> i mean this interview just go listen to the whole thing he talks about because he worked on Enterprise and they asked him like, oh, could you, you know, what about bringing back Enterprise? Because he wants to do more Star Trek after the show, you know, more 25th century stuff. He talks about how season three is uh, Picard kind of hands the torch to the next generation, which is something LeVar said about his daughter. Yeah. Who, play, who plays his daughter. So maybe there is, you know, this kind of next, next generation as part of that. I mean, it's interesting because when he talked about that, he also talked about the way they did it. Like he loved seeing McCoy on Next Generation. So he wasn't even talking specifically about people, characters and their children, <laughs> but just talking about handing it off officially to the next group. But it did raise a lot of a lot of possibilities either way. I continue to be very excited about season three. I hopefully we get to see something at now i was hoping maybe captain picard day we passed that so now comic-con which is coming up in a month roughly uh looks to be the next likely time and it's almost certain they're going to do a big panel so we'll probably i'm betting we'll see images maybe a trailer or something um i hope so i'm excited i want to see something i mean the thing is that prodigy and lower decks will be sooner in the queue so those may get a bigger focus but they'll have footage from strange new worlds and uh picard and picard, picard and actually <laughs> discovery you know so they'll have plenty of stuff to show us um we'll just see how much they're gonna how far into 2023 they want to be teasing at comic-con 2022 it's just getting that next generation cast back together is such a huge crowd pleaser that it seems like a smart thing to do at Comic-Con because it's all fans. It's fans across the board, old and new. Yeah, if they could bring Stewart and God, Comic-Con <sighs> would lose their minds if, you know, they all came there. But, you know, we'll see if that happens. Uh, that would be a break the Internet moment to see them all together. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Star Trek Picard, season two is coming to Blu-ray, DVD, and Steelbook in October on the 4th with special features. And uh, I think it's you can pre-order it now. Yep. Now, speaking of Discovery, season five just started last week. 
but Sonequa took time off to go to London. And while she was there, she did some press. Um, of course, being Sonequa, she's not big into dropping spoilers or anything. <laughs> Nothing slips out. She said we should expect the unexpected in season five, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> she called it refreshing, invigorating and lovely. I Whatever use that those means. words to describe a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> so nothing too specific there. But she did say it's interesting because she said that she is excited. She says she wants to see more and more interactions with the crew of the Discovery amongst themselves. And the interviewer said more Tilly. And she said, yeah, exactly. Like maybe she forgot that, like, it's not official that Tilly's part of the season yet, because it sounds like she's confirming Mortilly, we're all expecting Mortilly, but no one's actually said, yes, there's going to be Mortilly. Officially, well, officially. It's been give hinted. Me a, give me a sign that says Mortilly, and when I'm in Toronto, I will go march in front of the studio with my sign. <laughs> she was asked who she'd like to work with, Star Trek Legends, and she mentioned Patrick Stewart, Whoopi Goldberg, and Avery Brooks. As the, and the, Kate Mulgrew. Not saying that any of these people are actually in season five, but it's always she mentions Avery a lot too. I think it's important to her, you know, that he was the first black captain, and you know, she obviously takes a lot of pride in being the first black female captain to lead a show. There was obviously a black captain, a female captain on uh, Next Generation season one. So and then she said, "I'm very much in support of crossover episodes." Um, so. Well, let's finish the sentence because the rest of the sentence was good too. And us getting an opportunity to work with some of the people whose shoulders we stand on. Now, I don't know that that means anything, but I'm going to pretend that it does because I like thinking about crossovers between old Trek and new Trek. Yeah. So maybe we're going to, I mean, obviously Picard is going to be wall to wall nostalgia um, cameos, etc. But, uh, you know, maybe they're going to sneak one into the 32nd century. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it would be fascinating. All this stuff. I can't even believe there's still all this, all this Star Trek that's coming. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Speaking of which, was, <laughs> I want to clarify something we did. So last week we were talking about Kate Mulgrew. She was talking about possibly returning to live action. And I, we mentioned a couple of different interviews one where she's saying after Picard season three, you know, I could see a possibility of returning and, you know, there's more excitement. And I mentioned there was an interview in SFX where she called it a likelihood. And I just want to clarify that the question is important in this context. And I didn't say it. So this is kind of a correction. She was asked specifically if there was a chance that we'll be seeing the prodigy characters in live action. And she's obviously one of, but it was more general of all the prodigy characters. I mean, it still feels like she could be talking about herself. Sure. Cause she's, cause she's a two prodigy characters and I'm just not sure prodigy. The rest of the prodigy characters make any sense in live action. If you really think about it, cause right. most of them can't be done in live action or I mean, well, it's technically not live action right they would have to be animated with cgi in live action right right? so zero murph obviously rock talk and even the rest of them the actors aren't the right sizes and shapes 
really no, nobody's the size of so i mean you know like you know weirdly skinny and just they have interesting <laughs> shapes yeah you know and if you i mean if you did jank and pog is a normal looking tellurite and you put jason bitsukas in one of those outfits it just i don't know it just i don't know it doesn't work so really she's the only one i think where it works those characters were designed for animation and i think should stay in animation to be perfectly yeah. frank Whereas right. the Lower Decks characters, I think we saw them in, in Chicago. They could do it. I think they, they could, could pull totally it off. do it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Call me prejudice against blobs. And, and you know, I love these characters, but I, I, I think they should stay where they are. Yep. I Except for Admiral agree. Janeway. She should hop out and join some other show. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, go I back. Mean, I guess, she could do I both. guess there's our new characters who are showing up, you know, our Jason Alexanders and Jamila Jamil and those guys. That's a good point. All of that, you know, well, the Jason, I mean, the Jason Alexander doesn't really fit the look of his character. Right. Um, none of them really do now that I think about it. So uh, I'm not sure that would work either, to be perfectly right. honest. Well, um, they were at least they're, you know, humanoid. Fair enough. They yes. <laughs> that was more my point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it's time to talk about the Elysian Kingdom. Sure. I have a recommendation for everybody because this is what coincidentally happened to me, which is I was drunk the first time I watched it. No, no. When and you it, say drunk, do you like like how? Give us a gauge of how drunk. Okay, I am mean, a lightweight, and I don't drink very often. Probably the last time I drank before this time was maybe when we were in Vegas in August. So oh, okay. I had two strawberry margaritas okay. with friends and we were laughing a lot, which I think makes you drunker. Um, so and then I came home and then I put, <laughs> put on the show and was that when I watched it again, you know, with a more sober eye. I would say um, there were things I noticed that just the first time through it was just such a it was a romp. And if you're drunk, it's a really fun romp. I you did recommend that I drink before I watch it. I did consider <laughs> it. I had some mar you know some margarita stuff ready, and I just I don't know. It was too early. The sun was up. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I just I just wasn't <laughs> into drinking at the time. But I feel like I should have. I mean, I did enjoy the episode. There's a lot of fun stuff. There's a lot of great stuff, in fact. But I didn't love this episode. It's probably my least favorite episode, but it's, you know, but that's like, there's nothing. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, just a silly model episode. It's a filler episode. We used to get these all the time Yeah. on, you know, when they had 26 episodes a year and it's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's got some fun stuff. Well, and so, and the big thing I think is that the cast was having so much fun. It was almost, it was infectious. Like they were just having the best time. And so even though when I look at the, the episode as a whole, and I do have some things that we're going to talk about, it was just watching them have that much fun was a pleasure. Yes. I mean, you know, this is a archetype within Star Trek of we have our, you know, so the, the premise being that, they're playing characters in a fairy tale that came from the, you know, which is the story being told by 
Mabenga to his daughter, and now they're inhabiting all inhabiting this fairy tale. We've kind of seen stuff like this before, pieces of it here and there, you know, throughout Star Trek. Cupid and Short Leave and, you know, where they pull things out of characters' minds and recreate them. Um, and we know that there must be some kind of entity behind this, and that's the big mystery. But the thing is, is that you're right. Like, when I'm watching it, I'm going, wow, Anson Mount is having a ball playing this cowardly Chamberlain guy yep. um, and really hamming it up. As I was watching it, I realized I'm I'm seeing Anson Mount do this. I'm not seeing Anson Mount as Captain Pike doing this because all the characters have no awareness of the characters they're playing and there's nothing within them. So it's not like a mirror universe thing where there's some element of your own character within your mirror counterpart where it's these characters say something about you. That's actually why the mirror universe was... You know, the whole idea behind it was to reveal something about these existing characters. There's nothing about these characters that says anything. They weren't chosen based on who they were. It's almost random who was who was what. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was really chosen as what's the funniest non as a Disney princess. That's hilarious. And Pike is a, uh, you know, a cowardly lion, you know, I guess, except he's just he's all coward in this. One. Yeah, except, <laughs> except the <laughs> cowardly know. lion turned out to be brave. Right. Uh, not. You know, the, I mean, Ortegas is a bit on point uh, now, you know, a bit more like Ortegas. And uh, as is Una, the huntress. Yeah, um, chop a little bit. And Spock is a wizard. That makes sense. I mean, the, the the best thing about this episode, the absolute best thing about this episode, is Hemmer, who is aware. He's the only other person that's aware. And so we, we get a lot of Hemmer, which we've been saying every week, where the hell is Hemmer? Hemmer gets to be Hemmer, but he's also Hemmer the wizard, um, or Pollux which, the wizard. Which he embraced. Well, Pollux was... Was Spock? Was Spock Pollux. was Pollux. He was Caster the Caster. Wizard. So they were twins, which I thought was also an interesting choice. Um, but I loved that once he, once he decided, okay, just yelling that everybody's crazy isn't going to help me. Hammer just started having a to- a good time. Like, what do you say, Abracadabra? Okay, and then doing these big gestures and being a goofball because um, he kind of got into it, and that was I enjoyed that a lot. But I was very happy when he showed up because I felt like, okay, I need to get past all the play acting and let's get to the story. Usually when these kinds of episodes happen, the big sci-fi story that's behind it becomes more evident early on. And this one had the weird and I think pointless red herring of he was mixing something in sickbay and he and, you know, it created a cloud and he thought he was hallucinating. It's like, what was the point of creating that red herring? Although I did like that the actual the test tubes, the mortar and pestle, the powders. I thought that just seeing all that was sort of fun. Unless and it's where I'm just having this thought now. This this can't possibly be it, but. Did that create the spontaneous entity? Because the, the, obviously the, the, the entity like came into existence like while he was in the turbo lift because they scanned the hell out of this nebula with, you know, beacons and all sorts of stuff and they didn't find Jack, right? And then in the end, Hammer's like, oh yeah, there's a, that whole thing's an entity. So sometime between 
the beginning of this episode and then this entity spontaneously came to life so was it that moment did he create the entity by mixing those potions in sickbay or something i mean i don't know maybe I mean, otherwise, what was the otherwise what was the point of that? Scene? It has to have been there for a reason, unless you, unless it really was just a red herring, which I, seems not like what they do. I wish that we got pieces of the characters, like that he could, like every once in a while, pull a character a little bit out and then lose them again, or you know, there just wasn't right. They, like what they were doing with the ship, which was kind of cool, which was that even though it had all these vines and things all over it, he could still access equipment. And I almost wanted that same like peeking through of the character sometimes. Right. The entity was quite nice. <laughs> it redressed the ship, but really didn't touch any. Like, you know, the, the captain's chair was still the captain's chair, but it was right. also a throne. It just had some, you know, tapestries and stuff around it. And all the computers worked and everything. Um, I mean, I, I did like the fact that it was Hemmer was the one who knew because the Anar are super telepaths. They're they, much more than both because Spock is almost the natural character to be the one immune. You know, like there's always someone who's immune. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad it wasn't Spock. But you wish that you could at least see Spock like aware that something was wrong, like fighting it, you know, even if he ends up losing to it. Right. Uh, you know, and the same with Una, maybe, you know, because she's, you know, genetically modified. Right. The other side of that was a lot of times when we have episodes like this and maybe the extreme example would be the killing game. Um, there's stakes involved. People are getting hurt. And this was a, a fun, light episode, certainly. And so there were no stakes. There was no ticking clocks. There was no one being injured, really. Um, well, the interesting thing was Ortegas was badly injured at the beginning, and when he went up to get her, she was fine. So I guess the entity was able to take care of that, too, the same way it took care of his daughter. Right. And there was a sword fight in the hallway, but no one was bleeding. No, and, there was more it, punching. I mean, there was a sword fight that, that was fought with punching. But Una was using arrows. Arrows hurt. Arrows yeah, there were some <laughs> wounds there. And so the, and that's something I would have liked to have had at the end was like, oh, we found all the injured crew members. Like, because nobody remembered it, and I don't know if anybody stayed injured, but I wanted them to remember it or to hear about it and respond. Yeah, there was like a smattering of people in sick bay who seemed to have, you know, sprained ankles or whatever, but... <laughs> you know, I mean, this is an episode where, you know, they could have thrown, I mean, it was a bottle episode, they were saving money, but, you know, we, we got this in the pirate episode last of, there are hundreds of people on this ship, but you never feel that. Like, it would have yeah. been interesting to see sword fights and you know, you, different factions, people fighting each other on the ship, that this was kind of, you know, like a, you know, but this was a child's simple story. It wasn't Game of Thrones on the Enterprise, you know. <laughs> so I guess that's fine, but it just would have been nice to see some more tension, some more stakes where it felt like, you know, if we don't get this entity out of these people's brains, they're going to stop having personalities. Right. They're going to lose their or whatever it is. We've seen this before. Um you know, he said, you know, please leave all my friends. They they can't stay like this at the end, you know, but there was no, you know, maybe they could have all stayed like that forever, right? 
Yeah, I think because when he's checking their dopamine levels and all that, there were a couple of opportunities to make the stakes higher for the crew. Although I guess they did, they did just want to keep it fun. I mean, that was the intention. And then I just, and then to hear, I would have loved to have heard someone describing what Pike's character was and him reacting to that. Right. You mean you after, know? after they got out of it or tell right. Or telling on like, and you were singing with a dog and <laughs> you know, all of that. And that obviously um, the Huntress and Sir Adia seem to have a relationship. Right. I mean, this is, you know, it's kind of like Cisco and Dax in the mirror universe where you realize like, you know, something happened oh, there, you yeah. know, and you wonder like, Oh, you know, how much time did they have off camera where you, you know, you wonder <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. that could have been awkward later. Right. It's, it's curious of how much Mabenga is going to tell, he's going to tell Una. I mean, that's the other thing. It's interesting at the end where they made that choice where no one remembered not even Hammer, which I was that I was disappointed. Yeah, in. that was so. So, but he told Una, "Is he going to tell Pike? You know, or are they all going to have this five-hour mystery?" It feels like they want this to be a state. You know, this is very much a standalone episode. It's very self-contained. It's a fun little adventure. You get in, you get out, and everyone's fine, and nothing really. The big thing that happened here which I am glad about is they kind of wrapped up the storyline with Rukia, his daughter, where we were kind of wondering where, how long they could keep her in the buffer. And this answer, that question, the answer is eight episodes. Right. So two big notes about that. Like, first of all, I loved, um, Mabenga was amazing. Like his, during the tearful end, like that, when he had to, when he sent her off, I just thought he did such a beautiful job as an actor of conveying his eyes, just filling with tears and you could feel this conflict. And while I loved that, I felt like the resolution, like he sends her off and literally she comes back three seconds later to say, you made the right choice. Everything was great. Thank you. And I thought, wow, that's really like wrapping it up in a bow. And I felt that that was overdone. Yeah. Cause he talks about the story. The whole point of the fairy tale is that, the king realizes the Mercury Stone has a soul and he can't keep it and he has to let it go. It's kind of a, a good message. And, but I thought, yeah, like that's rough. He's got to let go of his daughter. Is he going to go back to the Nebula and visit her? And, and I thought that's, that's kind of serious. That made that up to the stakes a little bit for me. And then immediately they're like, well, don't worry about it. And they could have done it so much more subtly, like let have a few more minutes. And then at some point he gets some kind of symbol or signal or message or something that can be interpreted as she's good. She's happy, but to have it, to have him not have to suffer. I mean, sorry, but he didn't have to suffer like boom done. And I know they didn't want, they obviously didn't want him carrying this as a possible tragedy and, and having heavy guilt through further episodes, but I think they could have been a lot more subtle than they were. Yeah. This is another good example of them playing the long game with these characters because this the, the, the fairy tale was introduced and has been mentioned in earlier episodes. And I remember the first time he was reading to her, I was writing down like the queen, you know, the names of the queen and the characters and the, and I was trying to figure out what is this fairy tale. I thought it was just like some old fairy tale. And it's obviously created this themselves. 
then backfilled it into earlier episodes, which we've seen a lot of on this show. And we should pay more attention to every little detail because things things do come back for sure. Yeah. And for every this show's not not serialized. It's this show is highly highly serialized. It's just serialized in a different way. Right. Right. It's really all about character civilization. And maybe that's why, for me, he's the only character that had an episode. Everyone else, you know, has zero character growth by definition. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's and and it would have been great to see. Like it is something that would have been fun. Now, do you think that there's any this is probably reading too much into it, but the whole message of the book the fairy tale itself and this, you know, the thing with his daughter is all about letting go of the past and creating your own stories. And so part of me was thinking, you know, there's a little bit of a message of Star Trek in that of making new Star Trek. And then like, let's make your own stories instead of constantly obsessing over your, you know, references and Easter eggs. Yeah, like specifically Strange New Worlds. And I appreciated that it didn't rely on canon on old stuff in this episode. I'm always happy when they just sort of forge ahead and do their own thing. Even though they're not relying on, you know, nods and references, there there definitely was a fantastic deep cut in this episode, which is easy to miss, though, which was the book itself was called The Elysian Kingdom, and it was written by a certain Benny Russell. Yeah, I totally missed that. But that is a great, great deep cut. I mean, it, I, it, it, I, I love it, that they're leaning into Deep Space Nine. Yes. I mean, if, if you think about it hard, you're like, are they canonizing Benny Russell? So Benny Russell is real, right? Which he told us it's real, of course. Um, <laughs> so did Benny. So is this universe created by Benny Russell? It's almost twists itself into a circle if you think about it. Like. You know, the theory that the entire Star Trek universe was created by Benny Russell himself. Right. Right. So, but they're in the Star Trek universe, referring back to Benny Russell, who's the author of the Star Trek universe. It's fascinating. <laughs> Mind bending. <laughs> but it's just a bit of fun, I think. But I'm, I'm glad that they're not, you know, it's totally non-reliant. You, know, you don't need to know who Benny Russell is. You barely, you know, you probably miss it first time you watch it. I didn't notice it till the second time. So... You know, just a bit of fun, and I love it. Yeah, I think it's the perfect way to do it, which is to not make your viewers need to know, but just give them, a, it's like a little present. I've said, like, after the episode five, I feel like they've pivoted away, you know, so I do welcome that they created this fairy tale, and they, they created this this entity, and, you know, it was a, you know, the thing is that there's so much about this strange new entity I want to know about, and it really only showed up at the end and it would have been nice to kind of get little clues to this entity as we went along and learn more about it. It was more interesting than by the way, Deborah. (laughs) It's like, is is it going to be on the star charts? The Deborah Nebula, you know, (laughs) uh, probably right. Um, It'll be a rhyme. Deborah the Nebula. But I don't know. I just, I would have liked to have a little more Deborah, but they were just so, having so much fun and and it was fun i mean watching pike be this kind of sniveling you know weaselly you know it's it's an it's a stereotype character that we've seen before but it was it was absolutely fun um and and uhura herself was hamming it up as the evil queen yes 
Um, also, the costumes were spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his, the king's costume, I loved. And and La'an's dress, I loved, which I saw. You know, I went to the exhibit. A lot of people saw this because it was touring, you know, it's been in a bunch of different places. Um, and I stuck my little Riker in there for a picture. But uh, <laughs> I loved all the costumes. I thought they looked fantastic. And, and yeah, everybody having a blast is hard to resist. And she had an extra blast because she got to bring her dog in, which she yep. told you on the blue carpet or the gold carpet. Yes. Yeah. yeah she was super happy about the dog, which makes sense because she had to hold the dog. So the fact that it's her dog means, you know, I'm sure it was quite happy and well behaved. You could tell it was her dog. It was licking her neck. And you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the dog was happy because yeah, you couldn't really, I mean, I guess, there, you know, there are specially trained dogs and dog wranglers, but bringing on, you know, a dog and holding it like that is could be difficult um, if you've never met the dog before because you never right. know. Yeah. Um, so, I'm sure they were ecstatic that they she actually had a dog that is, you know, arm sized and ready yep. to go. <laughs> exactly. Did you have like, given the silliness of it all, but did you have favorite moments within? those um anything with hammer you know the both of his abracadabra scenes um <laughs> and i did you know because the, 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 there was a meta moment almost when he said too much right <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like you know what i'll allow it um, <laughs> um so you know and even i've made fun of the the pike thing but when pike is, is with the queen you know, she says to kneel and like just the way he just immediately drops and kneels. Right. <laughs> says, yes, of course. You know, so he, he was amazing. I don't know why I got a big kick out of the fact that the the secret passage through the um the swamp of infinite was death? the Jeffrey's tube? Was the Jeffrey's tube? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I love any use of the Jeffrey's tube, so that made me happy. <laughs> yeah. Was- was a good choice and the swamp of infinite death obviously is probably a princess bride type right but i like when pike says that is not a good swamp (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that was maybe one of my favorite lines also hold the jester i thought was very good and i loved ortegas in this one she was having a really good time yeah sorry idea you know i mean we're laughing we're talking about the episode so it's i can't say you know, it's hard for me to give it a bad review, but it's just, it's just kind of, it's like junk food, you know, which is yeah. fine. I, yeah. I like junk food. You know, I can't take this too seriously because it's not taking itself too seriously. So, um, you know, in the same way we talked, we talked about this with the rom-com episode uh, a few episodes back where if you take it too seriously, you're, you're doing it wrong, you know? Right. And, and this makes it, this tells you it's, I mean, it couldn't be screaming more loudly at you to just chill have a couple strawberry margaritas and have a good, good time. So I do, you know, I would tweak those few things that we talked about. I, I feel like that would have made it a much stronger episode, but it doesn't mean it wasn't enjoyable. It just could have been better. And the production design also was beautiful. Yeah. One very cool thing that we found out in this episode was Mbeka's first name, which is Joseph, which comes after a poster scandal. Where his name wasn't Joseph, but (laughs) but now we know his name is Joseph. And that was a nice moment where where she said that to him also called him by his first name. 
Yeah, it's nice that we see. Uh, I I like the connection with Una and Babenga. It would have been nice to get a little more Una in this episode, and they kind of bookended things, and she's the person to reveal his first. He calls her by her first name, so they obviously have a special trust here. Yeah, the the scandal uh, for listeners, if you remember, you know when I went to Mission Chicago and took pictures of these posters and the posters had the first names of Babenga and Spock on them and the internet freaked out and and Paramount sent us and everyone like these apology emails saying, oh, you know, it was our mistake because his name on the poster was Jubilo, which comes from the books. It's an African name meaning healer. And they're like, oh, no, it wasn't that. We don't know why that was on the poster. I mean, that it like we uh, don't know why that was on the poster. <laughs> well, they didn't. They didn't say that, but that's kind of. I mean, I'm just saying, like, how did that end up on the poster? Yeah. Like, it, it, <laughs> if his name was, I mean, they'd already shot the episode over like a year ago. So, how did some? If his name was Joseph, how did it end up Jubilo on the poster? Like, did they change his name and post? Because I look. It, I don't think so. So I don't know. That's just there's just so many things that have to happen for it to get put on a poster, have the posters made, delivered, and put up somewhere. There are a lot of steps in there. No intern no. just said, Oh, I'm gonna give Mabenga a first name. I mean, someone put some thought into that and yes. uh, you know, they were wrong. Obviously. There was a disconnect somewhere. So it's Dr. Joseph Mabenga. But, I, you know, I did like their conversation, number one in Mabenga, because it was in the end, it was personal, but it was also she was really being the first officer. Like she was coming in to say, you're not taking care of your job. And then she sees what's going on. And then she says, OK, you need to take care of yourself first. So it was nice to see her in that role, because I feel like she hasn't had the opportunity to do a lot of first officering on the show. That's true. And, and and it was probably a big clue. And as we've said, they always offer clues at the beginning of this episode that they were going to wrap up the you know kid in the buffer storyline because she basically said, you're being distracted. You're not doing your job. And right. so, you know, they kind of couldn't have ended the episode putting her back in the buffer. I mean, they had to solve the problem. Yeah. Which they did. Yep. They were playing the long game with the kid on the fairy tale, but if his quest was to cure her, he picked up a, you know, a helpful piece of his quest with that whole episode with the Magellans. Remember where mm-hmm. he, he got the special technology and I don't know. I, I just felt like, you know, they went to all that trouble, but they didn't do anything with that. And I don't know why. You know, like I thought that, you know, maybe that would play somehow play a part in this episode where it helped them, you know, helped her get released. But it was all the nebula, the the magical nebula. He might use that somewhere else. It could still come back. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. Benefit of the doubt. (laughs) One, you know, this is a minor thing, but the kingdom itself, when they looked at the map, was a map of the Enterprise. I thought that was clever. Yeah. No, I liked the way they wove in the real Enterprise with all the fairy tale locations and backdrops. Yeah. I thought that was nicely done. And that's, you know, what we wanted to see more of with the characters. It might have been, you know, interesting because they talked about the computer like the Oracle. 
it, it, maybe the computer could have started talking, you know, like all like it still worked, but it got all fantasy oracle-y right. as it as it <laughs> talked to you about, you know, whatever the ship systems were. That might have been an interesting angle. Right. It could have responded in fairy tale language. Exactly. Yeah. It still worked, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, just a few tweaks here and there would have amped everything up and gotten it all, I think, to the to the right level. And I think that's, you know, that's this is going to be a short review because it's kind of the episode was uh, it was actually 50 something minutes. It, it, it goes by really fast, though. It feels shorter than it is. You've been saying last week you were six for seven because the there's one episode you actually just don't like, right? Yes. But I like all the rest. So are you still, so are you seven for eight? Yep. Because I was seven for seven last week. I, I, I don't know if I could say eight for eight. I'm like seven and a half. You know, this is the, it's my least favorite, but I, I, I just, like I said, I can't just kind of say it's bad. It's just kind well, of. Well, it's, it's one of those ones that you won't always feel like, oh, I really want to see that story again, but I could see occasionally just being in the mood to watch it again. That's true. Like it fulfills a a specific need, not need, but you know, it's like a little, it's a niche episode. (laughs) Yeah. So it fulfills a certain purpose when you're in a certain kind of mood. You know, I liked it. I just, and I I wanted more. I also miss filler episodes. Like I like the idea of filler episodes. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day and I think I saw someone tweeting, there's all sorts of kind of just dumb Star Trek episodes that you just can't do like that that would just get thrown out of a pitch meeting because you don't want to use up one of your 10 right to do something silly and you know so i almost applaud them to say you know what we're, we are going to do a, a silly one a kind of dumb one and I, I don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's just it is just kind of a silly episode yeah that's just is- a play they were all just playing let's move on to our bits of the week what have you got? Mine is topical. There was a January 6th hearing this week and I got this text from Kayla and it was just like a, it was a picture, a screen grab with a circle around this guy's lapel behind a witness. And there, he was wearing a Starfleet badge. It definitely was. There was a guy behind the main witness for the hearing wearing a gold and looked like a discovery Starfleet badge. And we sent out a tweet about it. Bill Prady picked up on our thing and he said something. Uh, Tawny Newsome uh, from, you know, not our tweet, but she had her own thing. People were noticing there's this guy and, you know, got a lot of chatter on the internet. People had a lot of fun. People like, oh, he's from the Department of Temporal Investigations because our tweet was like the Starfleet scented observer. It was the joke. Right. And Tawny said something about the Bell Riots. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it was just a... I'm still trying to figure out who this guy is. He didn't seem to be with the witness. He could be with the media, but he doesn't It doesn't have a recognizable face. Hopefully someone out there knows who the mystery Starfleet guy <laughs> was in the crowd at the January 6th hearing. But keep an eye for the next hearing. Maybe he'll be back. Yeah, I hope so. Or everybody will have a bat. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what's your bit of the week? 
So mine is something I didn't know. Obviously, this information was out there, but I was listening to the Smartless podcast and Chris Pratt, who I will always love because of Parks and Rec, was on. And he talked about how he auditioned to play Kirk in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. And they asked him, you know, like, did you come close? And he was like, I didn't even come close at all. And he said, he said, I walked in and I started sweating immediately. And he said there was a casting assistant who sort of looked at him and looked down and hit the record button. And he said he was reading with another assistant and he saw that, that the first one was not even paying it, like just started doing other things that he was so (laughs) uncompelling that she paid no attention. And he said, he said, I wasn't in shape. I was kind of doughy. I was drinking a lot at the time and I wasn't prepared. So there's no way he was also, he auditioned for the lead in Avatar as well and had the same experience and he got parks and rec i mean that was 2009 i think it premiered so he got it right after that but that was news to me yeah i think i'd heard that before. i think all the hollywood chris's auditioned for kirk hemsworth did as well he ended up they called him back months later to play the dad right it definitely would have been different with Chris Pratt. I mean i i think he's great in the guardians movie so yeah me might, too he might I have think- been good yeah, I don't know if he was ready then, but maybe. I mean, so here's another funny thing that happened since this happened, like right before uh, I came to sit down to record this podcast, which is I was listening to the, I listened to Parks and Recollection, which is an episodic podcast about Parks and Rec, um, Rob Lowe and Alan Yang. And they were talking about an episode and they go through the guest stars and usually they say something about the guest star and what they did. And they said, Biff Yeager who's in this episode, and I know him from Gilmore Girls too, they said he was also, they suddenly bring up Lieutenant Commander Argyle on Star Trek The Next Generation, which he was in two episodes. And they started talking about his trading card. He has a signed trading card that they say it's in a price bubble that just keeps growing. So of course I looked it up and yeah, there are some on sale for 500, which nobody's buying, but you can also just buy it for 50 bucks. So (laughs) did you buy one? Uh, you can buy one for 50 bucks, a signed okay. Biff Yeager Argyle card, which is so funny. And then I started doing more research and I found some more deep dive funny stuff about him and his character. But I just thought, wow, like the the Parks and Rec Star Trek connection is strong. And also like two new podcasts this week where it came up in both. So that's sort of funny, too. That might be a fun article, obviously. Adam Scott's the king of the connections, but there's the, there's got to be more Star Trek Parks and Rec connections for sure. Well, Jim O'Hare was on Voyager. Jerry from Parks and Rec. Two great shows. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it was just a, a great. I love when those things come up in my regular podcast rotation that have nothing to do. I do listen to a lot of podcasts that are not about Star Trek. Amazing. So it's, it's nice when it pops up. So thank you for listening again and join us next Friday for another episode of the All Access Star Trek podcast. See you then.